So in everybody's life, they have a choice of what path they're going to take. They have the ability to make those choices. I always say your strength is in your passion. My passion has been many different things as I've went along this journey with uh, Fireman Rob. My strength comes from that passion directly. It's able to get me to that finish line. It's able to get me to that start line and to inspire others to be part of something bigger than themselves. It's such an amazing journey to go on and amazing stories that I hear along the way. It's that inspire and be inspired. And if you just take that one little part of your life and translate that into something bigger, what an amazing thing you could create and what amazing things you could be to this world and to be to your family. I just always love being able to give that to my family, to give that, that strength that I have and translate it into something positive that they get to be a part of. And that's just the amazing part of being Fireman Rob. Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a delightful conversation with a good friend of mine, Rob Verhelst, otherwise known as Fireman Rob. And he got that nickname, Fireman Rob, because he's gone and done 23 Ironmans whilst wearing his Fireman kit, which weighs 50 pounds or 23 kilograms. And he he wears that full kit in the marathon portion of the race. And, And we consider most of these races are over 100 degrees by the time you get to the run, which is over 35 degrees Celsius. Um, It's quite extraordinary that he's been able to get through all these events and bring awareness in particular to mental health and PTSD. This was all triggered by his uh, work that he did in the search and recovery at 9-11 when he was only 23 years old. He was really thrown into the deep end and was scarred because of that, but he's now using that impact on his life to try and help others um, find their own passion and their own fulfillment in life. And, And just some really great stories in this one. Rob's a colorful character that is a great presenter, great speaker. He has his own podcast, he's an author, so many other bits and pieces here. And and I think you'll find you really get a lot out of this one. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on. Um, Again, I always want to thank you so much for listening. I I do truly appreciate it. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love you to share it on your social platforms. I'd also love any feedback, guests that you may like or things that you'd rather I ask or didn't ask or didn't talk about. That's also fine as well. I'm happy to hear from all of you. Remember to go check out Any Question. Any Question is the new app where you can ask the world's experts any questions. It's all video-based, so you get the video responses. At the moment, we have swimming, cycling, triathlon, health, strength training. The first hour is free, so you can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett if you like and go check it out there, or you can download Any Question, one word, on your iOS or Android. But go check it out. That's Any Question. Anyway... I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. I I really did. I actually want to have Rob back on. In fact, I might go on his podcast just to continue the conversation. But enjoy this one. There's lots of learning and some really great stories. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today, I'm joined by a man who has made it his life mission to inspire as many lives as possible, to help people find their passion and purpose and ignite their potential. A career firefighter, an Air Force veteran who did search and recovery at the World Trade Center after the 9-11 attacks. He's completed in dozens of Ironmans in full firefighter gear, weighing 
over 50 pounds or 23 kilograms for the full marathon. It's unbelievable. And in 2015, he broke the Guinness World Record for the most 70.3 triathlons in one year, which was 23, by the way. He's a motivational and inspirational keynote speaker. He's the founder of Fireman Rob Foundation and a certified Ironman University coach. He's the author of the book, Forged in the Fires, the seven catalysts to ignite your possible, accelerate your potential, and extricate your best. And also, he's the podcast host under the same name, Forged by Fires. It's an honor and a privilege to have him join me today. So welcome, and thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Rob Verhelst, otherwise known as Fireman Rob. How are you, mate? <laughs> oh my gosh, that, that, that I need to just bring you along to everything that I do to be able to introduce me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm motivated. I'm like, who is this guy? I just walk along stage and then hop off the other side. Done. See you, mate. Drop the, <laughs> drop the mic, mate. It's a, uh, you know, I've had a lot of fun. It's a, uh, I was saying to you just before we started recording, I was like, I was scrolling through Instagram, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a blast that I haven't spoken to for the <laughs> longest time. And rather than just picking up the phone and calling you like a normal person would, I'm like, no, we got to record this chat. So um, thanks for taking the time, buddy. Oh, I love it. I, you know, we always have great conversations and uh, there's no limit to what we can produce or at the same time uh, discover and solve. I mean, numerous <laughs> things we've solved and nobody heard the solutions. <laughs> it's time to put it on record, mate. Exactly. I, I said to you pre-show, I'm, I'm really trying to see if I can get these shows down to 45 minutes and then we both laughed at that. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> we, we enjoy it. We enjoy a chat. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try and keep this tight, but it's um, there's a lot to cover. Um, like I just had that intro, you've been... You've been busy, mate, and, and throwing some kids and everything along the way. You, you've certainly packed a lot in. I, I want to sort of dissect that a bit. But before we get going, you know, where, where are you at the moment? Where, where are you speaking to me from? So I'm in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. I actually just got off shift at the firehouse. I worked uh, 72 hours at the firehouse. So the brain's a little fried, but, you know, it's it's one of those things. I'm, I've been in the fire service now for 22 years, and I actually just turned uh, 44 yesterday. Happy birthday, and so, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess I get to keep getting older, so... Wow, I had no idea that you were that old. I'm just yeah, kidding. It's, it's, isn't but, crazy? I mean, I mean, I mean you, I look 20. But you have been doing a lot, so it doesn't yeah. make sense. You can't do as many Ironmans and, and do everything you've done. Um, but that means you were at 9-11. You were pretty young. You were 20, I was 23 years old. 23, yeah, 23 right. years old. Not meant to see any of that stuff at 23 or right. understand it, really. Yeah. I want to see if we can maybe unpack a little bit of that in this show without having to make you repeat stories that I'm sure you've told a thousand times before, but it is fascinating to be thrown into that world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, look, doing a little bit of homework for this show, I, I looked at your podcast. Did you realize we started our podcast two days apart? <laughs> see, like we have, it's like minds, great like minds is what it is. I saw that you're on episode 118 or something I yep. saw and... Um, and that you started January 8th and I started January 6th of 2020 before BC. Before everything went crazy, Before right? COVID, yeah. Before podcasts became trendy, everyone picked one up during the COVID times. So you've kept it going too. I was um, pretty impressed with your consistency week after week. Yeah, it's you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's so much fun to have people have a voice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people just don't have the ability to reach a global community or reach anybody more than who's just in front of them. Or sometimes they don't want to tell the story to uh, just anybody. And being able to be that person that they're able to deliver this, this valuable information that like you and I were talking about before, that maybe one person can just dissect and take a little bit of it mm. and help change their life or help to change their life, to change somebody else's. It's, it's one of those things you don't always have to see the outcome of, of what you produce. And I'm sure you've seen that too with your podcast of some people may tell you like, Oh my God, that, that episode changed my life. Mm. But at the same point, there's so many people that probably listen to like yours and, and some of the guests that I had and go, Oh my God, this changed my life. And you'll never know, but you do it because it's a value, not a, because of uh, the accolades or the successes. Mm. 
Well, I don't mind the accolades if they come. But oh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all good with having no, getting patted kidding. on the back every once in a while. How, how, how do you pick your your guests? Because they are seem they are kind of random and unusual. Yep. You know, uh, more recently, I just you know was listening to a fashion you know designer. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's random. It seems to me. But do you have how are you picking them? I troll around LinkedIn. I troll around um, Instagram. And just look for stories that are different, hmm. you know, that, that not everybody's heard them. Not everybody's, uh, knows like the little intricacies that maybe, uh, with my background, I can kind of dive into more with them because they're more comfortable. They know that, you know, well, he's been through it. So I might as well just tell people, uh, what's going on as well. Realistically, I just look to find that unique person. Maybe they only have a hundred followers on Instagram. Mm. But you look at their backstory and you go, they need to have something told. Mm. I love that. It's just random. It's, it's, there's no rhyme or reason to uh, who I pick. And a lot of the people I've, I've been good friends with and love their stories. And, and so it's, you know, everyone from like a Navy SEAL to a fashion designer who was, mm-hmm. you know, dead broke. And <laughs> all of a sudden now is designing uh, women's cycling, uh, not bicycling, but motorcycle wear. And it's it's just awesome to have that diversity of inspiration and value to people. Isn't it awesome the connection you get with the people after you <sighs> recorded an hour show, or half hour, whatever it is, and, and you yeah. talk offline and there's a bit of banter and everything. But I find like, Every one of my guests, whether I was mates with them on the race course or if they're just somebody I don't even know, now you have this connection that goes beyond the show. I, I always feel like that's the gift that we get as as podcast hosts, you know? By far, mm. by far. And, you know, the number of times that I've written things down while in the interview and going, I got to remember this myself. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly just learning going, wow, I came in. I'm often, this is what I, how I do it. So people understand how I do my show these days. I spend several hours doing homework and reading and, you know, watching YouTubes and podcasts, oh, everything yeah. like that. And then quite often I, I have my notes in there and I almost just throw them away. And yeah. I come into the show and try and go, okay, I understand a little bit of where this person's been. Where that person is right now often surprises me. And I find if I have my notes and put them away, <laughs> it allows me to just go with that person, you know, then Down and the there. Journey. And I learned so much. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. That's so true because it's, it's one of those things that's, uh, we're, we're so fixated on, um, stories and, and stories are valuable, hmm. but it's always interesting to see that it's not always the outcome of those stories that is the reality today. Oh, never. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about that at all. The destination's no. boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, yeah. you know, I always say, you know, uh, and my, when I speak, I say, you know, my dad always taught me this and my, my dad passed from cancer and was my, my hero, my, my everything. He was my basketball coach in mm-hmm. high school. Um, he was my biggest supporter when I was doing the races but he would never be at finish lines. <laughs> he would always be one mile out from the finish. Mm-hmm. And the understanding that I had from that is like, that is the point. One mile out from the finish is when you truly understand why you went there, why you got there. <laughs> the finish line is just, it's hoopla. It's whatever it is. But a mile out, you're like, I did this. Mm-hmm. And you really understand the people that are standing a mile out are the ones that truly understand how hard it was to get there. Mm, I really like that perspective. I'm actually yeah, reflecting it, as I, I should be listening to what you're saying, but I'm actually reflecting on my own dad who also I, no, passed. I love that. And it's kind of like I'm thinking about the events where I did have maybe some success and where he was on the course it was never, it was often, if it was a 10K yeah. run, he was at the 5K, you know, yeah. about <laughs> as far away as possible. I'm all, I, I always remember in those runs going, how in the world did he get out here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> my dad was not a fit specimen by, by far. Ah, like nowhere near yeah. a fit specimen. And I was always like, but I think he got like exactly what you're saying, that Isn't that's crazy? almost where a dad needs to be, you know, for their kid. Yeah. I don't know. It's fascinating. Like you and I were talking about before, there's certain things that we learn in life from people that when you take that reflection point and you go, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Mm. And then you translate it onto your kids and then they translate it onto their kids. And it's, it's one of those things like with my son, he plays hockey 
And it's not always about how you start. It's not always about the, you know, I always tell them it's, it, it doesn't matter to me at the end of the day what the score is. Mm. It doesn't matter to me if you make a trophy or get a trophy. It's what did you understand? What did you learn from the sport that you played at that moment? When you had adversity, what did you do? Did you fall down? Did you crumble over? You know, was there, he's played, a, he's not a big kid. He's like five, six, maybe. Hmm. And right now, and, and, and small. And he's played against from some kids that look like men, you know, in hockey. And it's like, did, did you cower down to him? And those are the most important lessons that you can learn is in those moments. And, you know, I learned those from my dad when he was my, my high school basketball coach. It's like, that was, that was challenging, mm. you know? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've already learned something. See, you see I'm already yeah. reflecting. <laughs> oh, we just started. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. It, it's great. You know, when you look at your kids and, and they're, they're going to struggle and fall down, but have them owning those, those struggles um, mm-hmm. and, re- and remind themselves that they were the smaller, that they were beat up and use it as fuel to go forward. Um, and, and you're not always going to be perfect. That's the other thing. You know, no. it's kind of like, yeah, sometimes you are going to cower down and damn it, I cowered down, but own it, yep. but own it for next time. Right. And, uh, oh, and it, it only empowers you to be stronger and be more resilient and more adaptable as you go forward. But Hey, let's, um, I do want to sort of get to you, your book and, and talk about each of the, the catalysts. But before we do, what I love to do with my guests is kind of rewind the clock. I love it. And just get to know your background uh, and how we really got to the point where motivating and inspiring others, you know, has become your journey and, and what you love to do. It's interesting. So going back, so, you know, I, I didn't know if I wanted to be a firefighter. I played water polo and um, basketball in college and didn't really know what I wanted to do and, and went to a fire academy and I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty nice. This is, it's a dynamic life. It's a different job that you never know what you're going to get. Not knowing all the other aspects of it, the mental strain, the physical strain that, that comes on after 22 years mm-hmm. of uh, being in it. About a year into my fire career at the city of Madison, uh, 9-11 happened. And at 23 years old, I was on a rescue team and I, I went to New York and I did uh, search and recovery mm. at that time. And it changed me as a person. It changed everything that I thought was tangible. You know, I, I've been divorced twice. Um, my wife now is a saint for putting up with me. It's, it's one of those hard things to do because, you know, when dealing with mental health issues and, and all those things, and for many years, I, I wouldn't say that because it was, a, it was kind of a shameful target that you have on yourself, mm. um, that you're less of a person, that you're not that manly man um, that they need in the fire service. But now pretty much I just tell everybody, F you, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to be vulnerable for you. Mm. Uh, if you don't want to be vulnerable, that's, that's your choice. But for like 10 years after September 11th, I was, I was a lost soul. And that's when, you know, the 10th anniversary came up of September 11th and that was Ironman Wisconsin. And I wanted to do something, but I didn't want to talk about it. Um, but I wanted to do something to commemorate that and have people take away whatever they could from what I was going to do. And I chose to put on my fire. It was a pretty stupid idea, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we, if you want honesty, it was pretty stupid. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's took a toll on my body and everything, mm. but mm. I chose to run in full fire gear for the run portion of Ironman, Wisconsin. And, you know, that choice changed the trajectory of my life. I didn't know how or why um, for many years. And, I tried it out because I was like, you know, it's, that's a long ways. That's, you know, 26.2 miles and 50 pounds of fire gear and all the elements. And that's after doing the bike and the swim. Mm. I'm not a small guy. You know, I always say I I look like I ate two of the triathletes in transition. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Our mutual friend, Will always said, you know, Rob, you look when you're on the bike, you look like that bear at the circus. Um, (laughs) Uh, so, so yeah, so, I mean, it gives you a mental image of what I, you know, I'm, I'm like that barge in the water during the swim and then just, you know, it's uh, the wind drag people are, I've got like six people behind me just as a windbreak. They're like, Oh, this is amazing. Better than the lead vehicle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when I get to the run, you know, I have to give myself enough time for, it, it takes me about anywhere from 
six and a half to eight hours to do the run portion in my gear just because of the sheer fatigue. It pulls on my neck. I have my helmet, uh, air pack and everything. And so when I tried it out at uh, half Ironman Racine before I did Ironman Wisconsin, because I was like, you know, I got to I got to see if this is actually doable because nobody's ever done it. Mm. And the half distance uh, in Racine, was 110 with the heat index the day of the race. What year was that? That was uh, 2011. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It was just horrendous. Mm. And so I got done with the swim. I got done with the bike and I get out and, and the uh, transition area is on this huge blacktop mm-hmm. parking lot. And I have this huge black bag with all my gear because it's huge. I mean, it's a ton of gear. So this black bag has been sitting on this blacktop parking lot in 110 degree heat Whoa. for most of the day. And now I'm unzipping it and it was like, you know, it's kind of like those uh, cartoon heat waves came out of it. Oh, God. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, this is stupid. What am I thinking? I, this is going to suck. I put on my gear and I start walking and I'm already just defeated. I'm, I'm feeling sorry for myself. But like I talk about with the, my catalyst, with, with purpose, understanding your why is such a huge thing in life. Mm-hmm. And I got about, about two miles in and it's like a, it's a looped course. And this guy came over and just almost knocked me over, giving me a hug. And he goes, I'm a retired FDNY firefighter. And I, I want to thank you for being out here today. It means a lot to me. And at that moment, I understood the pain that I was going through was not just for the sake of the pain. It was, it was for a bigger purpose. It was so that I could understand that I was still alive and for others to take the pain that I was feeling and the challenge and the effort that I was putting out each and every race and translate it into whatever they needed that at that moment. Mm -hmm. And for me, that, that just translated throughout the years. And I never truly, you know, when I was out on those race courses, like, yeah, I'm inspiring people, but I never really understood how it affected me until just really like two, three years ago when I, I truly understood that the pain that I was going through on the run portions when I was in gear really helped me to really stay around with mm-hmm. my mental health because it let me know I was still alive, that I had purpose to continue to move forward. It was, it was a weird thing and it's, it's sometimes hard to understand that pain actually equals purpose. Mm-hmm. But um, for me that, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen that would go, yeah, that's, that's true for my life too. So it, it's been an amazing journey and, you know, 20, gosh, 23 full Ironmans, 29 half Ironmans and a bunch of different marathons later. Um, here I am. And have you prepared for any of these or are you somebody that no. is? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I prepared uh, life-wise. I mean, yeah, half yeah, of them yeah. were so close together that I just, it was just the training of the race. Mm-hmm. It's a tough way to do an Ironman, people. <laughs> no, it's a stupid way. Yeah, it, yeah. Be real, Greg. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you, when you, you, you know, you went off to Madison, Wisconsin after doing Racine in, in the 110, yeah. by the way, 110 degrees for, for people in metric, that's about 43 to 44 degrees Celsius. So just think about that. Brutal. But you'd done Racine when you, when you headed off to Madison for the Ironman, what was the date of that? Was that actually on? Uh, it was on September 11th. It was. Yeah. Okay. So yep. it was the exact day. So you'd already, you'd sort of mapped that out. Had you heard of triathlon or Ironman or anything before? Or had you done anything like that or, you know, apart from racing? Or- yeah. So I, I had done, um, I had done the year before I'd done Ironman Wisconsin, just normal. And I completed it. And, you know, years and years ago, I had done a few triathlons and whatnot. And I'd done, uh, <laughs> My one of my first triathlon Ironman experiences ever was in Florida. I did the um, Florida Half Ironman that was at Disney, mm-hmm. and I was this cocky young kid, and I was like, "Ah, oh, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this." And I go, I go out. Of, I the swim, I, I I loved the swim. I got out of the swim like third. I was on the bike. I you know I was doing great off the bike, and then I got onto the run, and I forgot that I suck at running, <laughs> and I just blew up. I had a 75 year old lady pass me and uh, as she's passing me, she goes, you're doing so good. And I'm like, Oh, shut up. <laughs> it was the most humbling experience oh, ever, but that's triathlon. Isn't the know? sport beautiful for that? I mean, it's oh, like, it. honestly, I've seen oh, hundreds of kids come in with this, almost this chip and this attitude. And I'm like, yeah, 
you'll come. <laughs> I, I know this is going to slap you around in ways that you yeah. never thought possible, and and you'll be a humble person in ten years. Oh, it, <laughs> maybe it's sooner. So true. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And then and then it'll either make or break you. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I have a similar story when I first started. Up. <laughs> I was. Um, it was one of my very first races. I'm sorry to make this show about me suddenly. Um, no, I like this. But, 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 uh, <laughs> but I was like, I'd entered this race. My dad had actually filled out the entry form for me and he entered me into the longer <laughs> race, which was a 2K swim, 70-kilometer bike and, and like a 20-kilometer run, you know, back in the late 80s when they didn't have exact distances. And Yeah. So I turned up and all my mates that I've been training with did the the sprint race, the, the, the shorter one. That they were done and dusted in an hour. And I went and did this thing unprepared. And got off the bike about 20th from last. It was probably 300 in it or whatever. And then I just remember trying to get through this run and it just kept going and going and going. It was like one of these never ending. I was like, what in the world? (laughs) And finally, I'm now second to last. And this guy, he had to be 75, 80. I mean, I was pretty young. So people seemed older than they probably were. But he just started yelling at me. He's like... (laughs) Look at the next telegraph pole. You look, you keep going. He kept like, it was like a sergeant major in my ear. I was like, what? I wasn't going to give up. Why are you yelling at me? Anyway, he kept screaming in my ear and, and then he would walk with me and then he'd run ahead and then stop and yell at me for me to keep going. And anyway, he took me all the way to the finishing line and we did it together. And it was, it, I don't know if it was more oh my God, a way for him awesome. to feel better about himself. But anyway, I came in last, but it was, one of those. So he beat a, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no. <laughs> he, he dropped me with like a mile to go. Um, oh man! Yeah, yeah. So I came in dead last in this race, but it was you know I was eighteen or whatever at the time, and but it was a great learning lesson. Do you know what I mean? I, I took that oh, with yeah. me for the longest time in my my career. That like just keep going. You'll get to the finish. Just keep going, and it's it a good <laughs> lesson to have learned. And you know, I still picture that guy screaming you at me. Still remember it. That's <laughs> yeah. the best part. <laughs> yes, especially now I'm a fifty year old man to have any kind of memory is these days. Oh, I know. Yeah. Remembering <laughs> what you ate or if you actually went to the bathroom when you went in. <laughs> I know. So when did you sort of realize that, okay, I'm doing these Ironman, I've done this Ironman and, and you know, and, and you'd had the guy give you the, you know, the hug and let you know what it felt like when you were in Racine, you know, but then you've gone and, and done, like you just mentioned, 23 Ironmans and plethora of halves and marathons. And when did you sort of realize, hang on, I can, this this can be more, this, I can actually impact people's lives. Was it straight after Ironman Wisconsin or did that grow over time? You know, it really grew over time. So I I was invited to like speak at, um, like at the dinners for Ironman and, and I would always go to the volunteer dinners because without them, I would have never actually found any finish line whatsoever. Mm. Once I started seeing the reactions and seeing people just taking little pieces of my story and, and going, oh my God, I could, I could, you, you know, I could, I needed that. Or I, you know, I'd hear stories as I'm actually going on the race course. And all of a sudden I'm like, gosh, this could, this could really be something, mm. but I don't know what. And it took me a lot of years to really kind of hone down what my story was and, what impacted my life to be able to translate it to other people because it's it's one thing to tell a story it's another thing to make a point and then tell a story that backs up that point mm. so you know like the passion that all of a sudden is like oh well i'm doing this for a bigger purpose that story in racine it's like oh well all that kind of combines together to help me to understand that that's one of the big triggers in my life is understanding why i'm here or why i'm actually moving forward it's kind of one of those convoluted things where it's like you have to live it and then you actually have to kind of take a step back and go, well, what is this that I just lived? And, and is it about your why, like you said, there's probably different levels of whys in there because it's probably a, a pretty oh, yeah. strong personal why. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the PTSD and things that you've had to deal with and, and manage, not deal with, it's probably inappropriate, but manage the PTSD through these events, you know, right. so it helps you on a personal level, but then it also helps you externally and potentially help other people as well. Right. Looking at it on a personal level and helping you manage, you know, some of the trauma that you've seen and dealt with in your life. Is it you kind of come into 
an event feeling one way and you come out of it feeling another? Do you notice a difference? Well, you know, that's a great question because it's, it's so hard because you, a lot of people, you know, they think about it from the standpoint of like, if I have a positive, it's going to outweigh the negative. And the hard thing with your mind is your mind is not like a straightforward road where it's like, oh, I'm going to take a left here and it's going to be a bad day, or I'm going to take a right here. It's no, I'm going to put a pothole in the middle of your bad, your good day. Um, how are you going to get through it? Hmm. So when I went through these races, it was just, it was compiling enough stories that I could help to work through those bad days, those dark moments. And, you know, the, the hardest thing for people that deal with traumas and it's, you know, it's everything from firefighting to some people have personal trauma. Some hmm. people have, hmm. you know, other, there's no, I call it trauma competition. There's a lot of people that feel like they have smaller um, problems on other people. Like, I, oh, I shouldn't be worried about this. And that's a huge thing in the first responder community. And for for me, when I was racing, I would always listen to everybody everybody's stories. Like one story that uh, always sticks out is this lady at Ironman, Wisconsin. Um, we were about mile 17. She stopped by and I'd always have this happen. She's, she's comes up next to me and she goes, can I tell you my story, Rob? And I was like, yeah, totally, totally. We've got time. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, okay. So seven years ago, I was uh, hit by a car and I was told I was never going to walk. And so I'm sitting here, you know, mile 16. I'm like, um, all right, this could last the whole rest of the race. And she, she looks over at me and she goes, uh, yeah, so I'm sitting in this hospital bed and the doctor told me I'm not going to walk. And my sister's sitting next to me. And up on the TV was Iron Man uh, Kona. It was on. It was uh, playing on there. And she goes. She looked over at sister, and she goes, "I'm gonna. I'm gonna do that race one day." And her sister looked over and go, "Man, they must have had a lot of good meds on board for you." <laughs> um, he just told you you're not gonna walk. I don't know what you're thinking. And so I'm sitting going, you know, I looked at her and I said, what, what is going to be the best part of this race for you? I mean, just even being here has to be exciting. She goes, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. And she goes, the best part's going to be um, when I cross that finish line and I have my hands up and I get that photo, I'm going to make that photo into a Christmas card. And on that Christmas card, it's going to be the front is going to be that photo, the finish on the back is going to be a big F you. And I'm going to send it to the doctor that said I wouldn't walk. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, that's priceless. <laughs> it's amazing how we're so fueled, isn't it? I, oh, we're fueled was, by the naysayers and the, it's like, uh, I've had yeah. a lot of conversations on this show where you can be fueled by love and, and the episode yep. with Mark Allen, we talk a lot about how he was fueled by love and, and, and that kind of thing. And then you have a Chris McCormack episode where he's like fueled by hate. <laughs> and anger and, <laughs> and it's kind of like it's utilizing both of those at different times, right? I mean, I, I, right. I think I actually, I think Javier Gomez and I were talking about it where we, we, we decided, and again, this is our little world, we decided that anger and hate can fuel you, but it's not going to last you a long time. Whereas yeah, exactly. love is the fuel that'll keep you going for the longer duration. That's what we, we break down in the episode. So, um, but I, the, I get it. I love that story though. <laughs> it's, it's so true, but it's, it's one of those things like you're, you're talking about, you know, do you come out of races different? Mm. And I think it's the, the biggest key that people have to understand because a lot of people are looking for that magic pill, you know, mm. that, mm. that one moment, oh, this is going to give me the rest of the time. And like you were talking about, you know, love and hate and all these things, they don't last. We also have to understand that our purposes change as we go and it could be by the minute. Mm -hmm. So if we don't listen to ourselves, that's the problem. And so many people tend to shut off everything that's happening in the moment and aren't engaged in it because they're listening to the, the naysayers they are listening to the pain. They're listening to the what ifs instead of going, Oh man, I just, I just made it through 16 miles in my gear I think I can do this. Oh my God. There's a little kid over there that has a sign. I was in New Zealand in 2019, New Zealand. Like who the hell's going to know who fireman Rob is in New Zealand, right? <laughs> I'm in New Zealand. I'm on the bike and I was not ready for that race. Not ready at all. Not ready. <laughs> like, like, like if, you know, if we're on a scale of one to 10, 10 being ready, I'm at negative two. Um, <laughs> but I'm on the bike and 
on the side, there's these two little kids, never met them. And they have go fireman Rob signs. They made themselves. Mm. And I'm sitting here going, are you kidding me? And it was like, in that moment, you're sitting going, okay, you're not ready for this, but you better show these kids that you can be. That's what I'm saying. Like every moment in your life. And like you and I were talking about our kids is like every moment in your life, you're showing somebody what's possible, Hmm. whether it's yourself or somebody else, somebody's always watching. So you need to be engaged in each moment. And it's so critical, especially if you're a parent to do that. I like that being engaged in each moment. It it sort of takes me a little bit to (laughs) you hear people that have this way of doing things and they don't want to change. And I'm kind of like, It's interesting you do that because who you are now, like I'm a different person compared to 30 minutes ago when we hit record to this button, right? You, you're growing right. and you're learning and you, and I think the people that are willing, willing and able to adapt quickly to new, new circumstances, I think that's where there's a tremendous amount of learning about yourself and finding purpose, right? That ability to, oh, to change and listen to the environment around you. And, and like you said, stay engaged. I think coming out of COVID, I think all of us are going, wow, I, I now, I realize I can be far more present than I was before COVID. You know, it was like everything yeah. shut down. So it was like forced you to have to be present with what you have. That was quite yeah. a gift that a lot of us got out of COVID. I, I, for one, got a lot out of that. Oh, by far. Yeah. So when did you sort of go all in then and say, this is, you know, you got your podcast, you're writing books, you, you're speaking and you're still working as a fireman. I don't even yep. know how you're fitting all of this in, mate. What? I don't either. 72 I, hours. I, really don't either. <laughs> I look at my calendar. I go, this is, nah, I don't know. <laughs> I know. It took us a few weeks to get this one on the books. Cause I know you, yeah. you know, do you have an, your own EA, your own executive assistant that's uh, yeah, scheduling? His, his name is Rob. Yeah. Um, he's <laughs> he's my He's a good looking chap. (laughs) You know, I've gotten in a flow of things and probably about 2015 when I went for that Guinness world record Mm. was when I really, I was like, you know, I'm going all in. And that's when I took that reflection time and figured out those seven catalysts of like, you know, they're not unique to anything, which is always one of those things. It's like, oh, this is a unique thing. It's like, no, these aren't unique. You've heard these words before. Mm. It's just these words in my stories are why I am still here and why I still continue to move forward. And so in 2015, I truly understood people are always like, oh, it's got to be amazing to have a Guinness world record. I'm like, no, it sits on my wall and I have to dust it. It's kind of a pain in the ass. Um, (laughs) And and it's one of those things is it's done, right? Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes when it's done. Somebody's beat it already. Oh, have they beat it in in spandex, you know, one, they beat it by one in spandex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that I was like, I was like, come on. Yeah, that's not true. Where's your fireman outfit? That's not yeah, true. I know. I, it was, it, you know, the people in London, I, I asked them, I was like, can I get a special one? They're like, nope. I was like, okay, then you don't know Americans that well. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to go beat this one then. Yeah. Going all in was a hard thing because it was like, there's a lot of failure in speaking. Oh yeah. Because it's a vulnerability too, speak. mate. It's brutal. Oh. It's like uh, you're putting yourself out there being yeah. a podcast host. It's, it's, it's a vulnerability oh, yeah. that, and, and you're just putting yourself out there every time. I mean, I've got to the point, I feel a bit more relaxed probably on the mic than I did two years ago. You, you know, through repetition, right. you get quite comfortable in conversation, but there is a vulnerability still that you're putting yourself out there in the world and, and public speaking, you know, I've done enough of it as well where you're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I still, it's, it's funny because people are always like, oh, do you get nervous when you go up on stage? I'm like, you know what the hardest part for me go up on stage? And I, and like you're saying, I, I tell a lot of the same stories, but the hard part is like, these aren't the stories like, Hey, yeah. Um, your two old men went down to the pond. You know, it's not that old story. It's, you know, for many years I drank to subside my pain. Mm. I haven't drank any alcohol since 2018, 2019. Yeah. Mm. And so I was like putting that out there. That's, (laughs) that's huge vulnerability. That's, Mm. that's you're damaged. Okay. What are people going to think of you? It's freeing, but at the same time, it's very scary. And that's probably the scariest part of when I go speak is I'm just letting more people know how damaged I am Mm. and how damaged I continue to be, but I'm trying to get better. Isn't it fascinating, though, that there's a real comfort to the listener, to the audience when they hear they're not alone, 
right? Because yeah. we're all damaged. Like, I mean, I oh, don't yeah. care how, I don't care if you're Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, everybody's got stuff and everybody's got uh, traumas and things that they're dealing with. And yes, some have dealt with a Not lot more. if you more go on Instagram, other. everybody's amazing. Well, yeah, of course, on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> our, our doppelgangers are, are incredible. <laughs> but but that's that's also, I mean, when you, when you think of what social media is and the mental health that we're now finally starting to, you know, talk about and understand that, you know, this the social media world is, you got to distance yourself from traditional media. You got to distance yourself. Oh. I don't know how many times I've said it on this show that, you know, turn off yeah. the noise, turn off the noise and get yourself to neutral. I'm not saying you're going to find positivity, but at least you, when it's around, it might be able to come to you, you know? Right. That's what's so amazing is like when you competed, there wasn't that noise of social media. No, mate. It was like, there's just your internal voice and the people that were yelling at you from the side, like old men. But that's why we were so, we were so fortunate. I've talked about it um, before, but if I was fortunate enough to win a race, I got a, maybe I got a magazine cover, maybe. Right. And then that was done and you focused on the next race. And all of a sudden, you know, when I was sort of 35, 36 coming towards the end of my career, I was actually still doing pretty well in my late thirties, but it was all of a sudden sponsors when things would be saying, oh, you know, how many Twitter followers you got? Or I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I look it up and I'm, that became a thing. And then it was like, we need you to post. And, and right around my retirement, Instagram started to become more of a thing, you know, and, right. and, and it never felt comfortable because I came from the generation that you don't talk about yourself unless somebody asks, you know, yes. and, you know, my dad used to say that to us all the time. You don't talk about yourself unless somebody asks. And so it was always very uncomfortable for me to self-promote. Don't get me wrong, I probably got better at it and maybe got too good at it, to be honest. And dad, <laughs> dad, dad was probably shaking his head. But, um, yeah. you know, you play the game. And, but that was a part of the reason. And I know we, I spoke to you earlier but um, offline about any question. And when Ed Baker right. brought me the idea of any question, he said, you know, it's going to be Q&A. And, and I thought, oh, finally. If yeah. somebody asks me as a question, uh, being an expert or whatever of triathlon, and they say, Greg, you know, show me your bike. Well, now I can show them my bike without bragging and feeling like, right. you know, isn't my life unreal or whatever. And it's like, no, you're being a dick. You know, now, now <laughs> yeah. I can do it with permission when you have a, a question waiting for you. Um, but life has changed with that social media. It really has. It's almost got people away from show me what you can do. And it's now tell me what you can do. And if you don't do it, that's okay. Um, you, you know, pretend show me one piece of it. Mm -hmm. I hate social media, but you know, it's the bane of our existence. We have to do it to stay relevant. <laughs> it's funny. Cause my Instagram, I go again in kind of in the face of what a lot of people are like, Oh, show us what you're doing now or show us all this stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm going to just put out something that I want to say. You know, I, I do from the desk of Fireman Rob. It's a thought that goes through my mind. Mm. That's scary to... <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't put all put the out, thoughts blah. that go through my mind, Greg. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I put out a quote too. And it's like, you know, some people are like, oh, that's kind of boring. It's like, well, then don't watch it. Oh, that's I'm not, simple, yeah. I, I, it's not, it's not about you. <laughs> no, no. And well, that's the thing. I mean, we've all been to some degree, it's there, it's available. Uh, our channels that we watch, you know, my, my, my feed, if I want to look at it on Instagram on the, the reels thing is actually quite inspiring, mainly because they're the things that I like to watch. Uh, and so right. I don't have terribly much junk, but it is interesting. I was, I was talking to the team yesterday at any question. And I said, you know, I actually go to Instagram because I often use it as a bit of a direct messaging service. You know, quite often oh, when I'm far, setting yeah. up these podcasts, I, like I think I even reached out to you on Instagram. Yep. And so I, I go back there to see, because I, I don't have my notifications on for it. So I go back there to check and then I'm suddenly like, oh, what's Jan Fadino talking about? You know, and suddenly I'm five yep. minutes later, I'm like, oh, I don't have time get for this. So I've got two kids, a full-time job, a podcast, a bit like you. I'm like, get off. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, so you fall into that little trap. And oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're all the same. But, mate, let, let's um, shift gear a little bit. And I just want to discuss your book. And like you just mentioned, you know, there's some topics in there that people are going to understand and recognize. Um, the Seven Catalysts, Passion, Ownership, Decisions, Emotional Control, Resilience, faith over fear and mental strength. I love all of those. And um, I love this quote that you've got in your book, by the way, life doesn't get easier, you get stronger. 
everybody always asks like, well, how do they all tie together? And I have a, a simple way of saying it. Well, you know, in your life, you have to develop a passion or a purpose that really drives everything forward. And from once you have that purpose and passion, you can start taking ownership of little things like words and actions, non-actions, mm. um, tweets, posts, whatever you want to say. And from that ownership, you can start to make actually tangible decisions in your life. I There's two different types of decisions I say is tactical which are the everyday decisions. That's like, I'm going into a fire. I need to take the fire hose in. I need to put out the fire. And then you have the strategic decisions, which are the overarching goals. Like when I went for the uh, the Guinness World Record, I knew that I had to hit 22 to tie it. But if I didn't have tactical goal of each mile of that race, I wouldn't have completed it. Once I do the decisions, I have to have emotional control and not diverge from what my plan is. If somebody says something wrong or thinks little of me or I, I have a failure, that inevitably is going to create that resilience in your life. Mm-hmm. And that resilience is built day after day, which inevitably gives you faith in yourself over all the fears that surround us. And all this culminates in a mental strength that can bring to your life that value that you want to have, that you can go to that into your grave and say, you know, I did everything that I could and I know that I left some value in this world. That was a great summary. <laughs> I got all these notes and reading the whole book, taking all these notes and you just summed it up like that. I mean, that, that's just, and, and I, I think you've stepped it through really well. I think, let's skip back though to, to number one yeah. and, and passion because it's a word we all throw around a little oh, bit. And, and I think sometimes trying to get clarity of what it actually means to an individual and what it actually means full stop. And you describe that in your book and, and you really break it down. What is passion? I personally think that's almost a struggle for most people is just to get to step one, to right. identify, oh, to identify what you're passionate about, you know, because what, right. what, it's un, unlike your seven catalysts, I almost break it down into three or four, which I'm not saying I'm right by any means, but I kind of look at this. If you can identify your passion. And, and then if you can align that with your, some, some kind of talent or strength that you might have, because I think, yeah, I think we're looking at a generation of people that were brought up saying, just follow your dreams, follow your passion. It's like, <laughs> well, even if you can't do it, yeah, like a, even if a it's five not foot re- tall guy going, I want to be in the NBA. Exactly. I can do it. Exactly. And I, I kind of go, well, I'm not saying not follow your dreams, but I am saying pause for, just take a pause and understand, do you have some talents and strengths that align with your passion? Right. And then I feel like, okay, now take, like you said, take ownership, or I would say take 100% responsibility or whatever it is, but take that ownership. But getting to that, how do you help people identify their passion? What would you say that first thing is that you would have people do? You know, one of the biggest things that helped that helped me was, I call them impact moments. So in our life, we have a lot of like big impact moments and small impact moments. And from those, we have outcomes that either advanced our life or deteriorated our life. Mm. And those are decisions that we made from that impact moment. So like 9-11 for 10 years of my life was a negative and it, mm. and it adversely affected my life. My passion was to help others. I went to 9-11 and it adversely uh, affected my life. I'm like, oh my God, then maybe, maybe this isn't for me. And it took me taking a, taking a second going, okay, 9-11 is an impact moment in my life. The positives that I can see from that were there were people that were metal workers, steel workers that would go into these um, tunnels with us and cut out rebar so that we can continue to search. They didn't have any search and rescue training they didn't understand, you know, that, hey, one shift of this pile and all of us are going to be buried under it. Understanding that in these impact moments, whether it affected you positively or negatively, is taking a look at those, reflecting on those and going, is this something that aligns with a passion that I can have? Hmm. And that's so powerful. Like you were talking about talents. It's, you, you hit it on the head. It's like, I can't, it's hard to have a passion or a purpose because those are bought in goals. Those are something that you're bought into. That's why you can push to, you know, find finish lines when you were, when you're racing. Why could you, why can you catch somebody ahead of you? Because your passion, your purpose was to beat that person, was to win. That's your bought in goal. I'm willing to go through pain to find this purpose or passion. 
So if I've never reached that purpose or passion, or I've never had anything that I've done, an impact moment, it's going to be hard to understand what it takes to get there Mm. or why I want that passion. Mm. So that's one of the things that I always tell people is look at the impact moments in your life, because a lot of those are going to lead you down the path of what your purpose and passion is. I love that. And it's going to change. I really like that because it's, it's actually an area where I've struggled with myself, just trying to figure out, well, what is, you know, you do get to the point, um, you know, and I've had conversations with a lot of people that are transitioning, transitioning in life can be brutal, mm-hmm. right? Whether that's yep. being, you know, in, in the, in the a firefighter your whole life and now having to find another, shift another gear and, and, and have yeah. a new career or an athlete retiring or, you know, uh, whatever it is, transitions can be really tough and trying to identify what else you're passionate about and are you going to be any good at it and trying to take control of your controllables and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. But until you get that first step in the right direction, and it's definitely an area that I kind of struggled with for a few years after retiring from sport because I wasn't one of those athletes right. that was like, oh, I'll go study this degree and get myself ready to become an investment banker <laughs> you know, for when I step nope. out. It was like, <laughs> to be honest, I feel like I was a struggling athlete my whole life where it was like, just to compete, <laughs> I had to be all in. I'd have the blinders on fully that if I was looking sideways, yeah. I, I was in trouble. And then I'd have Alistair Brownlee talking about how he had a master's in finance and he stopped doing it. He paused for a little bit just for a couple of months before the 2012 Olympics and then went back to finishing his master's. And I'm oh, like, geez. wow, okay, I'm not that person. I, yeah. <laughs> and that's not exactly. to say that I just wasn't very good at applying myself and whether that's laziness or whatever it is, it wasn't a gift that I had. And so it took a lot of work. And, um, and then a bit like you said earlier in the show, you know, we were talking about the podcast and getting a few pats on the back. Yes. Those little pats on the back suddenly go, oh, maybe I am okay at doing this, you know, and they help you. Yep. You take a step in a direction of passion. And then if somebody gives you pats on the back, you're like, oh, maybe I have a gift here and it's worth leaning into a little bit more. Right. And, and that's what I was going to say. Like with you, I remember talking to you after you had some, um, like two, I think it was like two or three podcasts in mm-hmm. and you're like, I love this. I love this. And it was like that impact moment of you finding that joy of researching somebody and having that conversation and just enjoying that. It was like the same thing happened with me with the podcast. I was like, gosh, I enjoy talking to these people, Mm. like finding out their stories. It's like, and then you take that next step of going, okay, well, how do I own this passion? You you said impact moments. Would you Mm -hmm. say that that 9-11 has been the toughest time that you've had in your life to date and, and the biggest learning, I guess, on top of that? I would actually, well, it's interesting because like I was saying, as we progress through life, you start to have different impact moments that kind of compound Mm -hmm. or actually are kind of raise up above other ones. And I would actually have to say the biggest impact moment of my life was um, when I allowed myself to be diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Mm. And the next moment after that was when I understood that I couldn't keep blaming that for the way that I was acting. Hmm. Those would be the two impact moments in my life because they, they changed the whole trajectory of who I am, how I act and what I'm blaming. Cause I'd use excuses after I got diagnosed. It was like, well, that's, I'm free now. I, I, I'm free. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. It's like, Oh, well yeah. I can get pissed off whenever I want, yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way though. you know, finding out that your family's walking on eggshells when you come home, they don't say it because they've, you know, they love me. And it was one of those things. And it was like, but when I got to that point where I was able to verbalize things and, and just have them say that, and it was like, shit, I've been this person that I don't want to be because I was allowing myself to have excuses. And so those impact moments, it's, it's so, so, so important for people to continue to look at their life. Don't, don't rest on your butt thinking that you found the, the Holy grail. Mm. It's constantly changing. And, you know, like with you, with having kids, it's like you constantly understand how inept of a parent you are as you go through <laughs> life, you know? I know. You got to rem- remove that perfect, but, you know, it's, it's funny. Oh, I want to come back to what you were just saying, but it was funny. My mom used to say, my goal as a parent is just to get, get you boys to average. 
And, and it was funny. I never. I love that. I, I never really shirt. understood it because, you know, I was a high performer. I was a high performance yeah. athlete. What are you talking about, mum? That's so like, under you know, the bar's way too low. And now as a parent, I'm like, <laughs> I just want to get my kids to average. And then if yeah. opportunity comes their way, I want them to understand how to grab it, right? Yep. But this whole, let's push and push and push our kids. I've seen burnout in oh. every area of life these days and kids are pushed so hard. I'm like, Laura, I don't want to send my kid to this school because I don't want a bunch of homework for them. I don't need them to be geniuses by 17, 18 and burnt no. out by 20. That is not yeah. my goal. If, they can, if I can get them to 18 and they're like, dad, I'm ready to go explore the world, then I've done my job. Give them a few yeah. tools, you know, a few tools in yep. their tool belt and then run away. But I get it now. And it was like, <laughs> it, I'm a 50-year-old man that finally understand what my mom was saying. I just wanted to get my boys to average. I'm like, okay, I get yeah. it now. At yeah. that time, you're like, mom, this this really sucks. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm, I'm you really don't like me. I'm, I'm, no, I'm a bit disappointed that you, you know, you're keeping the bar so low in our family, but it's like, now I get it. Average <laughs> is good. We got to get rid of this whole search for perfection and every one oh, yeah. of our kids is going to be a genius. I'm like, oh, stop it. Oh, I know. It's unbelievable. It's like, you can, you can be smart in so many ways, but you can also be very, very dumb hmm. um, in life. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think parents put too much on them. And, and I, my, my oh, goal, yeah. if anybody's listening to us still after 55 minutes, my goal is for you to take <laughs> away. It's okay to have average for your kids, but just make sure they're willing to say yes to opportunities. That's all I want oh, to put I love out that. There, you know, that's, that's the perfect way of saying it. But mate, I want to just go back to what you were saying before. And, and I was kind of, you know, when you, you sort of said you were, yeah, went out and got diagnosed with PTSD and depression, and anxiety. And I can imagine that there was somewhat of a freeing there that you understood a bit more about why you were acting a certain way. But then how much work did it take to, to take ownership of that behavior? Oh. I mean, I can't imagine it was just like, oh, click, click my thumbs and now I'm a new person. I mean, that's, that's a real work in progress. Yeah. It was years. It was, it was literally years. Like the, I, I still remember one of my best therapists that, that actually allowed me to feel like I had succeeded a little. Um, I went through many therapists and not all therapists are created equal and not all of them understand everybody and that's okay. And the therapist that I went to that, um, kind of changed the way that I th thought, um, of myself was, um, I went in and I gave the 10,000 foot view like I always did just because it was comfortable. And it was like, okay, yeah, I'll tell you this. And he, he said, all right, let's cut the bullshit. I get it, what you just said, but how about a real story? And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I started opening up more. And one of the sessions, I opened up a lot. And, and after the session was done, he looked at me and he goes, um, I know you can take what I'm going to sell you. I'm surprised you haven't killed yourself yet. And I looked at him and I wasn't offended. I, for the first time, felt like I had kind of proud of myself. <laughs> I was strong enough to keep at bay something that really uh, a trained professional is like, wow, okay, this is a lot. And that was a huge moment for me. And that was kind of one of those like, okay, well, how much better can I get? And so I used the races as a therapy tool. But like you and I had talked about, the races end. Mm. So after the race is done, now what? So he equated it to, he's like, you know, so what it is, is Rob, you, you have a hole in front of you and you're taking the shovel and you're digging from behind you and you're, you're filling that hole in front of you. But to get around that hole in front of you, you're taking one step back and you're falling into the hole again that you just dug for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it's a constant process that you're like, okay, oh, sweet. I got a path in front of me, but I got to take one step back to get around it and you fall in the hole again. And it's such a great analogy for a lot of things that we do. We, we try to cover up what's in front of us, but you know, what's behind us really just takes us out all the time. I mean, you talk about that as a great analogy then. So what is the process if, if that's, you know, we got a hole behind us and you're filling yeah. that in the front. So I think, you know, for me, I live life going, I'm okay if I can reach three quarters every day. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to fill the whole, whole full. I know that I'm going to have dark moments. I know that I'm going to fall into a hole, but as long as I don't fall hundred percent into that hole, I'm good. Mm -hmm. If I can fill it three quarters full, 
if I've got a bunch of holes and trust me, mine, it looks like a yard that, you know, a dog peed in and has been digging to find a bone. <laughs> it's, it's the yard from hell, but I've got all these holes, but I can fill them three quarters full or a half full. Mm. And that's what we have to look at in life is like you were saying before, nothing's really a hundred percent. It's okay to not be okay mm. and live your life at three quarters full. How much of it has been conversations has been therapy for you, you know, the podcast and, and with other people. I find like for me, for me, these conversations and I've had a weekly adult conversation for the last <laughs> two and a half years. And I say adult because anybody with young kids know that, that, that oh, yeah. that's special. And during COVID time, it was like, it was a real lifesaver because nobody was around. Right. It's just incredible therapy just to be able to talk. It is. And it's, you know, it's one of those things, being able to dive deeper into the story and tell more things like there's, there's only certain people that I'm, I feel comfortable telling stuff. And like some mm. of the stuff that I've t- said today, I really haven't said before. <laughs> mm. And that's, that's the nature of, uh, that I love with podcasts and, and is very um, important to have people understand is that it's not always one person that you need to talk to. It's not always the person that you think that is going to be the comfort zone for you that you need to talk to. Mm. That's why we continually have to be vulnerable and be open to finding new ways to do things. Mm. It's interesting. You and I were talking about that before I hit the record button, how you can hear the same thing a different way from 10 different people, but one the the 11th person expresses it in a way that you fully understand. And we we were laughing about it because... (laughs) You know, Laura would be trying to help me with my swim stroke for 10 years and then I'd be in a random pool in Madrid or something and a Spanish coach would be like, oh, you should, you know, look this way and do this with your arm. And I'd come back to Laura, oh, look, he taught me how to do this and now I feel this. She's like, I've been telling you that for 10 years. <laughs> right? I mean, but I heard it differently and it made a difference, you know, it impacted me in a different way and and that's the importance of not always putting it on just one person or just, you know, just your spouse or just, you know, it's like, it's okay to surround yourself and open up a little bit. And vulnerability is not weakness, by the way. It actually takes tremendous strength. (laughs) to Thank you so much for saying that because it's, it's taken decades for me to understand. I had to understand that, mate. If you'd talked to me 10 years ago and said you were being vulnerable, oh, Rob, 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 you're you're a wussy. And now I'm like, (laughs) you know, but you have to, you grow and you learn and you put yourself out and you're like, actually, there's tremendous strength to be vulnerable and say, you know, actually I'm I'm struggling right now. I don't know if it's being older or if it's just being around more people, more conversations like this, but you realize it's kind of, you know, putting yourself out there, there's... Everybody's going through stuff. I've repeated myself, but you oh, know, like we said in the show, that you're not alone, and right. uh, I think that's important to share. Any question? That's that's huge because you're here in so many different perspectives. Exactly. Yeah. No. Mate, we need to get you on any question here and be able to share your, your perspective on mental health. And uh, what, what's next for you? What do you got coming up? So putting together a uh, first responder, um, it's called the First Responder Resilience Project. Um, it's uh, for first responders from police, fire, EMS, and dispatchers to help with their mental health. And so that's one of the big projects that I'm doing right now with the Qual Foundation. And it's about continuation of training. And that's the one big thing that is the hard part in the fire service. We always say 175 years of culture unimpeded by progress. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The problem is, is that everybody tries to create a new culture and we're, our whole philosophy is normalize or everybody's trying to like change the old culture. What we're doing is we're normalizing a new culture of mental health and saying, Hey, if you want to be on board, that's fine. This is what we're going to do. And it's having those honest conversations, you know, like I was saying before, being okay with not being okay and having people talk about, um, what they're going through. Uh, I was just talking with somebody at the firehouse the other day, Mm. um, about, you know, there's certain places in the city that I hate to go because we had bad calls there. It could have been 15, 20 years ago, but I, every time I walk into that place, I see that, that situation. Hmm. And it's a great project that we're putting together. We don't call it a program because programs end hmm. projects are continue throughout your lifetime. Hmm. That's one of my main things and I'm continuing to speak and I, I, I love to do it. I travel the country and I've had some international ones and just spreading a message and trying to be of value in life. And you and I talked about this and 
in my life, it's, you know, it's not about successes. It's not about trophies, medals, all that stuff can um, go by the wayside. And mm. it's not about being um, the, the wealthiest person in the world. It's um, living a life of value so that when I die, I know that my life wasn't just about material things. It was about some leaving behind a value that somebody else can take on and make their own and continue to contribute to humanity. I think that's a perfect place to wrap this up. Um, and it's really well said. And I, I truly appreciate you. Just one final bit. Where, where do people find you if they want to have you come and speak? Where's the best place? Is it your website or? Yeah, just go to firemanrob.com. Everything is there from the podcast to the book to how yeah. to find me to um, there's some, I'm actually going to probably put your face on my body. Or your body on my face, one of the two. I don't think you want to do um, either of those, mate. That's the beauty of my beautiful website. thing about doing audio. <laughs> <laughs> we, that old expression, audio. that old radio thing, you know, he's got a head for radio. It's yeah. like a... <laughs> Both of us, brother. There, there's, a, there's a reason I don't record in video, people. <laughs> you always see my ugly mug every week. It's uh, all about Ottawa. <laughs> Mate, well, this has been absolutely a pleasure, mate, and um, I truly appreciate it. For everybody listening, um, you can see all the show notes, timestamps, links, and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right, thanks again, Rob. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.